0: Today we're launching a new limited run series that focuses on surf shops and their cultural influence on surfing. I've been remiss to not include surf shop owners and their stories on this podcast over the past six years. The truth is, uh, surf shops are inextricable from my surf experience. I bought my first surf film at Harbor Surfboards in Seal Beach, one of the shops we'll be featuring in this series. My first surfboards were gifts that came from garage sales. But after that, shortly after that, the first boards that I purchased were Ryan Sakel's used boards from his dad's shop, Sakel Surfboards, on Main Street in Huntington Beach. Anytime I needed wax, I would try to go into a different surf shop, one that I hadn't been in before, just so I could peruse all the different boards that I couldn't afford but I'd fantasize about. I often felt intimidated in those shops, like I was underinformed or not cool enough, just didn't know the right questions to ask about surfboards. So instead, I'd usually just nod along, pretending to understand it if an employee ever engaged me in conversation. I remember trying on booties one time. I was 15 with my best friend Ryan Williams, and it was gonna be the first pair of booties for both of us. And obviously, booties are super hard to get in and out of. So I was hopping around on my right foot while trying to wrestle the booty onto my left foot, standing on one foot, and uh, the 20-year-old sales rep, who was a great surfer, and I recognized him from surfing the pier all of the time, he was looking at us and he goes, man, I've never seen anybody try to do it on one foot before, which Ryan and I thought to be a compliment, but kind of afterwards thought about it and realized that he was totally just making fun of us. So we still laugh about that. and I think about it nearly every time that I wear booties. So this series dedicated to surf shops was prompted by the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, whom I utilize as a resource and they provide studio space for me to record podcasts uh, regularly. On August 9th, they're launching a new exhibit entitled Temples of Stoke, a Celebration of Surf Shop Culture. They've invited 25 iconic California surf shops to install shrines of photos, memorabilia, and artifacts that tell the story of their shop and the role that it plays in their respective California beach town. Hobie Alter once said, quote, A great surf shop is a social and cultural hub for surfers, a place to hang out, check out boards, brag about great waves or new spots, and laugh about a horrendous wipeout, end quote. I've recorded five conversations with different shop owners. Each represents a totally different style of shop and a different approach to business. I'd love to continue this series beyond that five. Um, I spoke last year with some people in New Jersey, surf shop owners, so maybe we'll do this regionally. But for now, I think this series of five is a solid cross section that represents on a small level, stories and trends of retail and surf culture that are happening elsewhere. And as it turns out, of course, California was an epicenter of board building, which was the entry point into surf retail. Anyway, I'll be publishing this series of episodes every other week for the next couple of months throughout the duration of the Temples of Stoke exhibit at Shack. Go to surfsplendorpodcast.com to learn more about that or directly onto their website, shacc.org. And again, that exhibit opens on August 9th and is open to the public. For this first episode of the series i'll introduce one of the more colorful surf shops of my youth the frog house founded in 1962 and located on pacific coast highway in newport beach california right across from some of the best beach breaks around even if you haven't been inside of the frog house you've laughed at the jokes that they put up on their marquee out front or maybe you've slammed on your brakes when you saw the police on his motorcycle pointing a radar gun at you only to realize moments later that it's just a realistic painting on a plywood cutout that the Frog House crew made. Some civic-minded shop owner might have done that in order to slow down traffic and to keep other drivers safe. But it seems to me that the Froghouse staff did it purely for the comedy. A fantastic concept, by the way, and lovingly painted for a punchline that those employees won't ever benefit from witnessing. Just some random drivers getting duped as they pass by. And that type of comedy fits perfectly with the fact that their website that they advertise on their marquee froghouse.com hasn't worked in years all of this is orchestrated like an off-tempo avant-garde improvised jazz piece by the maestro TK Brimer always in shorts sometimes a shirt or a leather vest thick black framed glasses and a thousand words a minute fumbling from his mouth the Froghouse is a cultural gem And really considering the surrounding wealth of the community, all of the development, how many episodes of The Real Housewives of Orange County were filmed at nearby restaurants, it's really confounding to reflect on how little the Frog House has changed since my youth. Here's T.K. Brimer with its story.
1: Uh, Are you going to have a gauge on there that tells you if we're getting yeah, it uh, too can't far? you
0: my questions. I oh, okay. Be, I want you to be... Uh,
1: surprise! Surprised Whoa! exactly. That's Didn't see that the coming.
0: of surprise is what we're going for. Whoa! Um, so, oh my God, my let's surprise. start with... This building is, no, number one, prime real estate and just an epic space that you have... Uh, Frankenstein into your own making. What's yeah, the origin of this building?
1: Well, you know what? The Frog House started in 1962, and I know you're going to get to that question someday, so there I you go; I it. took it right yeah. away from you. But uh, in 1962, the Frog House opened up in a uh, old abandoned gas station, which you'll see uh, two blocks, what seems like northwest of here on Coast Highway. You've never seen it before in your life, but now that I mentioned it and you drive by, you'll look and you'll see it. And uh, the place was... Uh, a shambles and no security. Didn't even have a good locking door situation. And this building here came available. It was Hossy Speed Shop. Hossy Speed Shop had been here for some 18 years or something, and did you know hot rod conversions and equipment and that kind of stuff. But had gone out of business. And uh, Frank Jensen who was the uh, originator of the Frog House, came down and opened up the front door to this place when it was uh, available to rent, and looked inside and it was so filthy so filthy dirty that somebody goes oh my god it looks like frog's house and frog was an old friend that we had that no one would go to his house because it was so filthy dirty that they would he would eat kentucky fried chicken throw the bones on the floor and they stayed there no way they didn't Crazy. they stayed there for a year Crazy. and it was gross you wouldn't go in frog's house someone goes oh my god it looks like frog's house and frank jensen the star goes hey we'll call it frog house which has nothing to do with surfing, which is a name I've never loved at all. Oh, really? But this is 1962, and he was in charge, and I wasn't even work I wasn't even in the state of California at the time, okay? Because I didn't get here until '67, and uh, so got named the Frog House, and he uh, started renting the thing, and uh, ultimately he ended up buying it from the original owner. It's the uh, the building that you know we do our retail space, and then there's the space that uh, we're sitting in right now is actually On what they'd be an empty lot according to the city and then this little red house that's behind us here is on a third lot so there's three little lots in a row here ultimately I ended up buying these from uh, Frank Jensen uh, 10 years after I bought the property I mean the uh, business and uh, and I own them today I tell you the truth and there's people in this industry that don't like the fact that I own this business or this building and property and it's paid off so I pay zero rent if times are tough and I pay exuberant rent if uh, times are flush and that allows me to operate the way we do and stay in business, and yeah. that's one of the reasons we're still here is because we own the property. And at our times, I don't pay rent for six or eight months because you know we're going through a terrible bad spell for one reason or another. Oil spill comes to mind. Back in the when the heck was the oil spill? You ever hear of
0: the oil spill? The Exxon oil spill. Yeah, way Exxon back.
1: oil spill. And uh, I didn't pay myself rent for several months back then because business was so terrible. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's a prime real estate. and It's probably. My best retirement ax- ass- access, hey, you can get rid of it, but I can't <laughs> say the word. <laughs> I'll, I'll access, it. no, what assets. is it? It's
0: asset. Retirement asset. It's probably my best retirement asset. I mean, it's spectacular. It is so enviable. <laughs> well, you know, i tell you this. Let me, let me interrupt you real quick. What's enviable about it is that it's maintained all of its charm that it had since, whatever, 30 years ago. You know, so many other properties on PCH, I've lived here my whole life. I drive by and it's like it gets purchased every ten years, torn down, build a new one. Right, build right. a high rise. Buy five of with the of old, them, in with the new. Build a Hyatt. Yeah, that, that that. And this is the one me. thing that in
1: my life has just always been there and perpetually the same. Hey, you know what? And I know that if you go to uh, Main Street and Coast Highway at yeah, Huntington, they call it the epicenter of the surf world. That's Mega Jacks. That's Mega HSS. That's 12 other surf related doors up main street and oh my gosh back when i was a kid i thought that's where you want to be but you know every once in a while i find myself walking down main street and i go thank god i don't have a shop on main street there are 14 million ie people walking in and out of each one of those shops Less than 5% of them want to buy anything. Most of them want to just look at things. And then the percentage of those want to steal something. And uh, it's not an enjoyable interaction with a, with a customer in my mind. I walk away from there and go, thank God I'm not on Main Street. Yeah. If a guy takes the time to pull off the highway and park here at the Frog House and come in, he may not buy something but he had his mind on buying something pretty much you know i mean you got a yeah. good shot to sell him something it's not a bunch of looky-loos that just are uh, hey we're in town from uh, from uh, san Bernardino, and let's walk down on the pier and let's browse through every surf shop i've been up there and seen shops that have 80 people in them maybe more
0: and uh, i don't know how you keep the uh, shoplift under control that's a good point I- i'll push back on you a little bit though in terms of better chance of selling somebody something the reason why i would pull off the road and stop here is actually to do with um the experience of the store itself oh well like, thank
1: you and that i mean I, I recognize that and i appreciate that you recognize that also
0: it's like if i'm gonna buy a bar of wax i actually might choose the big box store if i want to just get in and out and not have an interaction and want it to be anonymous because ah, there's times in my life where i do want that be anonymous but the other part but more often than not it's kind of like i want to if i'm having a beach day or whatever and i kind of want to i don't have to be home at a certain time and i want to just kind of go see when i was a kid it was just what new films were under the glass under the counter out front. Right, right right and i can come and i can chat with somebody behind the counter Hadn't
1: that changed by the way yeah <laughs> no new true. films under the glass any longer true but uh,
0: but i want that human interaction is the reason right. why i would come in here as and
1: by point. the way that's our our clientele that return uh, year after year are here for that interaction it's interesting to me that I do have some people in here that come in for first time and don't come back because they don't want that interaction they don't want the real yeah. they don't want a real opinion from a guy behind the counter they don't want to be interacting on a equal basis behind the counter especially Newport money there are some people that come in and they are want to look down on the guy behind the counter is maybe less than they are or something. And those guys don't make it around here. I mean, not in my shop. They don't come back, and that's okay. You know what's
0: funny is I've seen the opposite, too, where the small shop like this is so cool. It's almost like it's so surfy that if I'm new to surfing... Afraid to come in. I'm afraid to come
1: in. Now, you know what? When I grew up surfing, and and I started surfing on the East Coast in Florida. I started in 1961, and uh, I would go in surf shops and the shops there would always be some super hot surfer guy behind the counter that was so stinking cool that he couldn't have any time for me whatsoever and almost with an attitude that hey i'm paying retail i must be a complete kook because anybody's any good is getting something for free or at least a discount and uh that hurt me when i was young and when i got in a position to control the way people act in this shop whether it was a manager in the early years and then as an owner when i ended up buying the place uh, one of the first things I talk to my employees when they come in one of the first lessons they get I tell them this I go you know what the guy walking to the front door of this place is way more important than you are I can get rid of you and get a new one of you tomorrow if I put an ad in the paper that we have openings at the frog house please come apply I truly believe there'd be 50 or more people outside the door the next day going hey let's I want to work in here but if I lose a customer I don't ever get him back again. I can't replace that thing. He's so much more important than you. And if you ever feel that you're better than he is, your time's limited in here because uh, I can't have everybody treated that way. I uh, That's a thing that came from my youth. Another thing that came from my youth that I've made sure never happens in here too is I bought a, a used surfboard and put it on layaway and made payments for it for months and months and months and mowed my lawns and uh, washed the windows and whatever it took, you know, to get the dough. Then I came to pick it up and the guy goes, Hey, you want a skeg with that? And I'm going, oh, oh, do I have a skeg? He goes, well, No, I don't come with a skeg. How much skeg? 18 bucks. I'm like, crap, I don't have 18 bucks.
0: Dang.
1: Yeah. If I walked out of here or not here, but walked out of that place deflated. Yeah. Uh, all this time I can't go surf today. Uh, you buy a used board in the frog house. It always has a skeg. Yeah. Always comes with a skeg, but, uh, Funny how those uh, youthful experiences have, uh, have m- modeled how, how this place is run now. But you mentioned that it's, a, that it's an interesting interaction. I think that we, we do have a, uh, an amazing touch with our uh, employees that come in. First off, no one comes in the front door, hopefully, without saying hello to. You can't. You it's can't. such a small space. You, oh, it's small. You can't small. sneak by. You can't sneak by. Yeah. And uh, if I'm around and most of the guys, if you buy something, you're going to get a thank you. You can get a thank you from the guy that owns the place and you know why you get a thank you because I'm thankful I mean it's not bullshit. I'm thankful I am so thankful you came in here and bought that leash and I made 12 bucks sell it to you Because you know what? I've still got a job tomorrow, and I'm uh, you know still gonna be hanging out at a surf shop I'm not gonna be working in a cubicle doing uh, Accounting somewhere or you know whatever kind of career awaited me if I didn't make it here. Yeah, so uh the uh, appreciation is legit, and people can feel legit.
0: Yeah, you know. Let me ask you this: um, for so much, are of, you going on your list? Or are you just making this up? I'm. Uh, you've covered like eight things on my list already, oh, just crap. freestyle. I try to slow down. No, 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 it's perfect. <laughs> it makes my job way easier. Um, so, so much of throughout surfing's existence, you could not be a surfer without a surf shop. You, I mean, you needed to buy a surfboard. Sometimes you could go direct if you had builders in your community, but there's only board builders in certain communities. So you either needed a surfboard, you needed shorts, you needed wax, and that was only available through a surf shop. Can you envision a future where all surf products are purchased online? Well... I can envision it
1: it's like a, a bad dream i hope i can wake up from but i i've seen myself throwing around in bed screaming and yelling no don't let it happen i gotta tell you if there's a sadness in my life it's what the youth of today are missing out in the surf world The youth of today are not missing out on performance boards. Everybody makes great boards. Lost, uh, you know, Channel Islands, Rusty, any of the good uh, manufacturers are making great surfboards, but they're missing out on the, uh, well, what are they missing out on? They're missing out on the personality of the the sport. The, uh, The personality of the sport. You uh, go in a surf shop, and uh, this is where I learned how to drink a beer and not let mom and dad find out about it. This is where back in the olden days, because I'm old hippie from 60s, you know, there was like uh, a pot and uh, things like that. And uh, Not that a pot should be part of surfing, and it should not be. And I'm glad, this, I'm glad that we've uh, evolved out of that uh, 60s and 70s things when it was so tight into surfing. But... Uh, Oh gosh just the the whole atmosphere of the surf world has changed so much it breaks my heart these young kids that don't get to see it now some of the kids that come in here are coming here still getting oh. a flavor for it but if kids are going into the big box retailers you know what there's the biggest retailers in this industry have people selling on the floor that don't surf
0: right they don't surf the, I mean those are entirely different businesses those big box retailers it's just a commodity the things that they're selling right it there's no um, hey, culture but I get, or salt in it I get people come walk in here everybody wearing their t-shirts
1: you know right. wearing the well, t-shirts and i want to go proximity to them i want to go where did you uh t- i mean they have that thing in the trash why would you wear that thing yeah. that, that
0: that outfit has nothing to do with surf
1: yeah and uh but so it's let, just the lameness and understand
0: let me ask you this though um i asked could you envision a future where all surf products oh, are yeah. purchased online and your answer had nothing to do with a threat to your livelihood it was more about the culture being lost right. for the youth. That the online
1: so, will never be a threat to my livelihood. I, uh, I already pointed out, I own the property. I don't yeah. have to pay rent. I can, I can uh, exist here very, very cheaply and and will i hope for as long as as long as i'm still surfing i'm going to be working in here i hope although i got a wife right now that's pushing back going i'm so sick and tired of doing books for the frog house and if you notice when you come in the frog house we don't have a computer we write handwritten tickets and by the way a lot of my clientele enjoy the fact that we write handwritten tickets there's a charm and it's not a computer there's a charm to it there's a realness to it there's a personal to it uh the guy hit me up for a discount, and I can discount five bucks because I'm handwriting it. I don't know how nice. you do that if you got a computer. My inventory is not on a scan, uh, you know, a, a scan program where you just bring it up to the front counter and they scan and scan and scan, and you owe me this much. I have to talk. And go, oh, you got this, uh, you know, this item and that item, and it, and it lends to more interaction with the customer and myself. But uh, wherever I was going with this, do I
0: have no sneaking. Would there idea. be benefit to implementing some of that? Um, As a benefit,
1: that's why you see it in every store out there Sure there's benefit it's called making money.
0: Yeah. Making money is not my f- high
1: priority. It's not my highest priority. And uh, I mean, I just say that with you know honesty, you know what? My highest priority? It, well, first it's family, It's family and health. And it's uh, enjoying my life. And I, gosh, you know what? When I grew up, I wanted to work in a surf shop. I wanted to work in a surf shop and I've gotten to do that my whole life pretty much. And I never ever wanted to work in a clothing store. And uh, that's what, you know, two thirds, five eighths of this stinking industry right. surf industry and it bothers me that we call it an industry. Does it? I don't want anything to do with it. Industry. I like the sport of surfing. Screw the industry. Yeah. I would. How many of these industries are owned by surfers nowadays? Not Who owns Quick? Who owns Volcom? Shareholders. Who owns uh, uh, Billy? Bill shareholders. Who owns these guys? A yeah. bunch of shareholders. Non-surfing shareholders. It breaks my heart that they are uh, sucking the life out of a surfing world for profit. But anyway, that's what got me on this rant was profit. But you're uh, carrying all those
0: brands in your store.
1: Carrying a lot of those brands. Each one of those brands has a story to it. And uh, You want to hear stories? Yeah. Uh, for instance, Volcom. Uh, Wooley Wilcock lived in the house straight behind us here, actually second house back, back when he started uh, Volcom, and uh, he would come in and, uh, gosh, for A year and a half he brought us Volcom stickers everybody's going what the heck is Volcom who knows but here's a sticker and a little preemptive advertising and when he started building his first product line we were his first account and uh, he's treated us amazingly well through the developmental years of his business and then while he was involved with that business still treated well I've gone to uh, Tavaru Island at least eight times on his dime just from being a good account and uh, And a faithful account and uh, so i've always carried it i've always carried it as a uh, as a return to him the way he's treated me and it'll be here and it will be here for a long time even though he's not involved in it now it's still a lot of people up there that have been friends and cohorts and surfing buddies from day one and i feel like i can support them
0: Right now, so this, can you fault him though? I mean, once it goes public and it's shareholder owned, well, it's I easy can't fault to... him when the only thing
1: that counts is money in the world. I can't fault him at exactly. all. Yeah, yeah. That's, he that's cashed kind of my out. Point. He got his—I don't know—thirty, forty $30, 40 million whatever it was some some amount—and he got his. God bless him. And you know, he owns houses in Hawaii and and houses in Mexico and homes uh, here in Newport Beach, and and he's living a an amazing world. And good for him. He earned it, but. Uh, Nah, the making the money is not my number one thing. The number one thing for me is waking up in the morning, smiling and going off to work and walking in the front door and being
0: thrilled that I'm here. I guess the point that I'm wondering about is um 5 minutes ago when you are kind of vilifying the industry, quote unquote. But we all it's such a small little incestuous world that the industry came from. You or you just gave a great example of being personal friends with these people. Right. And I'm wondering for this new Kid, new kids who are getting into surfing now, maybe their experience is largely online. Is their experience worse? Like if that future scenario where you can, where that kid never has to come into a surf shop, is his surf experience any less rich than mine was by coming into the Frog House when I was young? Well,
1: in, in my opinion, yeah. It's okay. like it's bankrupt. It's a zero. It's it's shallow. It's nothing. But it's the uh, new reality. And I don't expect him to recognize it as being uh, a bankrupt and, and shallow. He doesn't get it, it's all he's been exposed to. But uh, I get a kick out of uh, exposing the ones that do wander in here to the surf world yeah. a little bit, and to the surf world the way it was in the 60s and uh, you know when I was growing up surfing and letting them uh, actually interact with the guys behind the counter. You know what you don't get online? You don't get, learn online that you can't take off on the shoulder when you're a sneaking kook, you don't learn that online. Right. You don't learn online that uh you don't learn online all sorts of advice have, that I give human to kids. Interaction. Yeah, there's no human interaction. Well, there's our whole world nowadays, isn't it? But uh I mean you don't learn that the river jet is not a longboard spot. You you you, you shortboards the river jet. You want a longboard? You go down to Black keys Yeah. keys is not a shortboard spot, although tons of people surf shortboards there, but I mean they, there's all sorts of rules to the road that you don't learn online, and you learn them in a, in a surf shop. Gotcha. And you learn them in the water also. But uh, in here, uh, and in other shops like this, the ones that still do exist, you will... Uh, you know, I'll run into a kid here that I was serving with out there earlier and go, Hey, guy, you took off on three different guys there and and never looked back. What's this going on? What do you mean? Go, well, that you're not allowed to do that. You're lucky you're lucky it's in a new world we are now, you're not getting a bloody nose from somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Because back in the olden days, you might get punched totally. more often. Now that you get punched, and uh, some uh, overprotective helicopter parents got an attorney and a, and, a, and a friend of the cops, and it turns into a big lawsuit, yeah, especially whereas back here. in the olden days, it would be a, a, a broken
0: ego and a lesson learned. Totally. You know? um, transitioning into kind of the business itself, what makes money for you in this business? Surfboards, clothing, wetsuits? What does the business look like?
1: And like I already said, I've, I never grew up wanting to be in a clothing store. And you also, and you uh, maybe not fault me, but point out that I do carry the clothing of, the, uh, of those uh, that quote industries that I such despise in some ways. I want to point out that in my store, you're looking at Maybe 30 percent what we call soft goods, meaning clothing, stuff that has nothing to do with surfing, and 70 percent hard goods, which are wetsuits, surfboards, leashes, skegs, even swim fins. I mean, things you use in surf. And uh, I take great pride in being a uh, hard a hard goods store. I go to the uh, surf and sport, and it's the other way around. It's 70 uh, percent soft and 30 percent. Hard goods, and by the way, a lot of the some of the surf and sport stores have really good surfers working in there, and they and you know with soul and all that, and then some of them have none. But uh, what makes me money is wetsuits. Oh, really? Wetsuits make me money. Interesting. Uh, surfboards don't make me or anybody else any money. Really? Oh gosh, are you kidding? That that Channel Islands or that lost surfboard or that rusty surfboard I'm selling for seven hundred twenty-five bucks? I paid six hundred bucks for it. If a guy pays $725, I made $125, which seems like nice $125. But when you look at a percentage, it's nowhere, it's nowhere near the 40% markup I make selling a wetsuit. Right. And the guy that pays $725 for that surfboard wants you to throw in a free leash. So there's another $15, $18, $20 bucks off. And he wants you to throw in a tail pad, and there's another $20, $24 bucks off. And then he wants to hang around here all day like he's the king of the world because he spent 725 bucks. And sometimes I go, hey, buddy, by the way, you see that guy that just bought, bought two pairs of uh, swimwear over there? I made more money off him than I did you. And he was in and out. And he that's was great. in and gone. And there's a the guy that made me some money today. Now there I, I used a soft good as an example of a good yeah. moneymaker. And that's why people are the surface port. sport. And that's why they are the big box clothing retailers. Is that's where the money is. Yeah. But... Uh, you ask me where I money make. I make my money in wetsuits. We sell a ton of wetsuits out of here. I see numbers. I sell more wetsuits than places that are hugely larger than I am. You yeah. know, and we sell a ton of wetsuits. Uh, a lot of the retailers don't have any idea how many wetsuits we sell out of here, and that's from just years of uh, of uh, good reputation, right? And uh, and good prices. I specialize a lot in off-price rubber. I get a lot of off-price rubber and uh, some of the manufacturers give me improved access to off-price rubber than some of the other guys uh, because we've got many years of relationship going on and uh, and uh, and they take good care of me that way but uh, the answer is rubber. What does off-price rubber mean? Off-price rubber usually means that at the end of the season Right, right now I'm selling off-price rubber from 2019 because the 2020 stuff is hitting the, well, actually available now in many, many stores. Yeah, and uh, a lot of retailers will send back old product, 2019 product, and then also a lot of retail or wholesalers will be stuck with uh, a certain amount of last year's product hanging on the rack, and I'll negotiate a price below the normal wholesale for it and then I'll bring it here and uh, sell it for that for a discount off price and uh, a huge reputation for years of doing it and uh, generationally uh, experience of generation generation come in and and buying it and just sell wetsuits just sell wetsuits.
0: When you're hiring for a small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And we're sitting by two sewing machines, by the way, as well. So that's a portion of your business wetsuit repair. And there's a board ding repair blocker right yep. next to us, also.
1: Yep, yep. The uh wetsuit repair is a uh, not a big money maker for me, but it uh, brings people in the shop. Now you got to bring people in the shop. You got to bring new people in the shop all the time. And the way it's done classically is you buy a, a full page color ad in a Surfer magazine, and it runs a uh, twenty eight thousand dollars to bring in uh, somebody. Looks at it and, and goes, "Hey, I'm going to go to this place because they ran a good ad." By the way, a lot of the ads look like crap. But uh, I don't. I don't. A. I don't have a budget to be able to do that. So I use a very effective method, and the wetsuit repair is one of them. If a guy, if a guy buys a uh, a wetsuit at another store, and they come in and they want to get it repaired, depending on the policy of the store, oftentimes they'll go. You read the. You read the label with the manufacturer, you mail it back to that manufacturer and tell them you got a warranty problem. You know, don't come dark in my doorstep with your warranty problem, mail it to the manufacturer, which is something we'd never do at the frog house, by the way, but a lot of times they'll say, or you can take it down to the frog house and those guys will repair it for a nominal fee. They'll repair it and they walk in my door and any one of these guys that walks in my door is an opportunity for me to turn them into a customer. And a percentage of them walk in here and go, whoa, this is personal. Whoa, this is different, and I like it. Yeah. Not all of them. Some of them come and go, oh, this is personal. I don't like people being personal. i want to go back to uh, to being uh, uh, incognito when I walk in. But uh, I, it brings people into my shop. Yeah. And we get people that come in from, you know, San Clemente, uh, L.A. Well, because area. not a lot of shops offer it. I don't know another shop that offers, offers it. And we've been doing it for
0: gosh 40 years i'm sure at least 40 years i mean i i remember getting a wetsuit repaired here when i was young and it was like 10 bucks or something just yeah, super s- nominal still nominal yeah. still
1: really nominal like i say to me it's a service and it's a uh, uh an ability to to try to uh, harvest another customer yeah,
0: which makes perfect sense
1: and the ding repair is a lot the same i make a little bit of money on ding repair but uh ding repair is a uh, service is not offered by quote surf shops anymore yeah. and I don't know how a guy can be called a surf shop he can't do ding repair such a but uh, but thank goodness and bless these guys they send us ding repairs for all up and down the coast one thing we have a reputation if we tell you it's going to be done on Saturday it's almost always done on Saturday Dude. through my lifetime a ding repair a ding repair guy is a guy that uh, that works for you for three or four months and then quits and you lose three surfboards in the meantime because he doesn't know where they went and and he's been horribly late and sometimes the uh, the products not good and that's usually a huge headache but it's a guy named Steve Bailey about 30 years ago uh, decided to make it into a real business and he uh, And the the best thing he did was good work, but the best thing he did is promise it on Saturday, have it back on Saturday. Dependable ding repair service. And we keep a records book of when the board comes to us, when it goes out to our repair guy, when it returns from him. And uh, keeping that accurate record and not losing boards, and then having that dependability has built our ding repair uh, business up, what I consider huge. Now Bailey did it for about, I'm thinking 12 or so years. And uh, then he decided to, uh, he got his uh, MBA at uh, you know post-grad degree from college and went off to what we'd call a real job. And uh, now I've had uh, Whitstick, Scott Whitstick uh, took over and he's been doing it for, I'm just off the top of my head, 28 years or something, I mean forever and ever. And once again, uh, he uh, does it as a professional business and does hundreds of thousands of dollars because I'm not his only account. He does hundreds of thousand dollars a year in ding repair. Amazing. And the, the main thing is have it back on the day you promised it came back. If not, yeah. make a phone call to that guy so there's not disappointment. You know these opportunities. Yeah, the opportunities come along to where you can, A, we're talking about doing the, the wetsuit repair, or B, doing the ding repair. Those are opportunities. Now, they're not a success just because the opportunity came. You've got to follow through. And uh, establish to that customer that you're trusting and are, are trustworthy and dependable, and that trustworthy and dependable thing is what brings them back a lot of times.
0: Right, right. fascinating.
1: Uh, I mean, basic, but
0: yeah, basic, but it's
1: but it's forgotten in uh, in most totally. of the quote surf stores out yeah, there.
0: Yeah, and they're almost lost leaders. Certainly, the wetsuit repair thing is a lost leader, but it it does give you an opportunity to do exactly what you said. For sure. Um, for sure. I and, to- I,
1: by the way, I usually point out to the guy that had you bought that suit here, it wouldn't be cost you 10 bucks. Right. I'd, I'd be doing it for nothing. Sure.
0: You know? Sure, sure. Um, I'd love to get your philosophy and theory on something. Um, like, this type of a shop is certainly, like, the core of the surf industry. I would argue board builders are as well. Like, board builders, the, the surf industry can't live without those guys. And those guys are so underpaid and undervalued. <sighs> and... You mentioned a couple of large manufacturers that you carry, brands that you carry here. Um, There's so many great board builders locally, right up the hill from here. Small ones. Yeah. Why not not invest in that? Why not carry those brands? Also, those brands you could sell for $1,000 a board and make larger margin on than you can with some of the large manufacturers. And, and, and some of those uh, some of those shops
1: out there are selling boards for thousands of dollars, $1,200 long boards, $1,400, $1,600 long boards. I made a trip down through San Clemente uh, uh, last year because I've been hearing about, oh, they're selling. And sure enough, they've got long boards going for $1,400, $1,600. You know, a problem I run into all the time here is that I've been here for so many years and I started working here in 1967. So I've been 52 years in here. It's hard for me to think about selling a surfboard for a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars, and I hurt myself all the time. A guy will bring up a, a, a set of racks that I used to sell for twelve ninety-five in the day; they're thirty-nine ninety-five, and which is a fair price for that set of racks. But it breaks my heart to charge a guy thirty-nine ninety-five for it.
0: And my employee—that guy is showing up in an Audi. Yeah, there you go. And he opens his trunk and he has Ain't it the truth? Super and expensive golf clubs. I don't in there. see that. So and what do you believe about?
1: and I don't see that. You know, but I but that's yeah, that's the truth. He lives that in Newport, my on employees the- here always sit here and give me an elbow and try to get me out of the sale They go, TK, you're gonna make some money. Not that they gouge anybody. We're gonna sell for what it says on it yeah we can sell for I, what it says
0: i mean and so i while i completely sympathize with you and i certainly don't want to spend more <laughs> on a surfboard than i have to but why don't i do more Well, well I, my thought is just that those guys building those boards who are the kids who grew up shopping here and surfing across the street would like to buy a house in orange county mm-hmm. and realistically they cannot no they cannot and charging the 1400 is actually a step in the right direction right. and even with the boards that you do have on the rack you're lamenting that there's not enough margin there for and you there's not enough margin so there. i i think everybody across the board even the manufacturers you did name need to raise prices well, so no, or, or, it, or it's or not raise a reason the, the uh, whole the uh well raise prices all the way across exact, that's on. my point oh it's you know not what and it's
1: been this way since the beginning of surf time i'm in mean, a surfboard that used to sell for 140 bucks buying a new board and uh it was ridiculous the uh the, the labor that goes into it, the love that goes into it, and the low cost that goes into it. But people back in the early days were working it for the same reason I work it today. They wanted to be in the surf industry, They or right. the surf world. I, right. I don't like that industry word. But they wanted to be in the surf world, and uh, and that was their ticket into it. And by the way, I do sell, I've got three or four local brand-shaped surfboards out there on the floor also. Do you got? I didn't mention them earlier t- today because they... Uh, I'm trying to, to uh, do a presentation to the mass world out there, and they're not going to recognize well, the some baltiera that's out there, and they're not going to recognize... Uh, uh. Hey, Key, Zach, I mean, what's your name, Blondie? Blondie works. Hey, what's your ex-roommate's board we sell out there? Panda. Yeah, Panda. They're not yeah, going to yeah. recognize Panda uh, worldwide, and they're not going to recognize... Uh, 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 you know, so these other, uh, a lot of these other small names, DLC. but yeah, De La Cruz that we yep. got sitting on the rack out there, and I went surfing with today, but uh, yeah, I, I wish there was a way to wave a magic wand and every surfboard in the whole world went up three or four hundred dollars in retail, and that money could go back to oh, if it even if I still only made my hundred a quarter, but it all went back to the guys that were laminating and ruining their health smelling the fumes and dying of brain cancer, and we see it in the industry all the time, and shapers dying from cancer. Which, and, by yeah. the way,
0: if they were paid appropriately, they wouldn't have some of those problems that you're talking about. They would be able to invest into um, proper clean ventilation, proper clean, room, clean yep,
1: it's true, high it's industrial
0: true. hygiene, all true. this basic stuff. Now, I think classically... So, go ahead the the point is there are plenty of glass shops even here in Orange County that run to those high standards where it's completely safe and but the problem is because everybody because everything's underpriced there's other glass shops down the street that are cheaper. undercutting their pricing who the fire department doesn't even know that exists and even even the ones with uh, you're talking about with the uh, amazing ventilation
1: you still walk in there and you smell it you know, I mean, you can't. i they're been wearing. In, uh, they're they're wearing, wearing masks. masks. If they're yeah. smart, they're wearing yeah. masks. Yeah. Uh, you're running them all the day that aren't wearing masks.
0: And additionally, just recycling, acetone, things like that, like actual mm-hmm. environmental protection right, right. things that they can implement if they had proper funding. You know, that's yeah, true. So it thought. would be it would be good. Unf- a, a a problem we've had
1: in the surfboard manufacturing world since the beginning of my time in it is as the. Uh, The garage guy, the guy that's, uh, goes, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, and by the way, most of our best shapers today came from the garage. Oh yeah. You know, they start in the garage. I get the kids in here even today and they're, they're shaping a board and, uh, and then they take it up to, uh. A, a professional glass shop and spend 180 bucks on a glass job on it and I'm going time out, dude I go don't waste 180 bucks on this piece of crap you just shaped. <laughs> you need to go and buy the materials and for about 60 bucks laminate this thing in your garage right and your uh, shapes will improve and your glassing will improve and uh, sooner or later you'll you know soon you'll be able to sell those boards for what it costs you to build them and then some months down the road you'll actually just be able to make a profit on them and uh, you'll end up being a professional shaper. But the professional shaping has always been dogged by the guy in the garage that's trying to learn and is selling it, you know, selling it well below uh, what would be a reasonable uh, wholesale or retail price in order to generate uh, customers so he can keep Just shaping and him. learn how yeah. to shape. Yeah. Although, let's talk about how. Uh, how that shaping thing has changed also, by the way, I, uh, I could be a pretty doggone shaper myself today by bo- buying uh, boards that are cut on computer, and then I just screen them and scrub off the rails, and I could shape a heck of a good board that comes off a computer. There's not much skill involved in it anymore. Right. Uh, that's
0: another part of the industry that's difficult. But uh, uh, in regard to how your business has changed over the years, there's a lot of soft tops out there on your uh, floor right yeah, now there are so bought a bunch more right now how's that as a business you know that's a funny doesn't cut that, into the yeah, hardware you know,
1: it, being old like I am is a bummer being old but it, the positive part of being old is we got to see a lot of trends come and go through the industry uh, uh you know through the surf world all these years and that uh, softboard one is one that has just exploded in the last three or four or five years you know and uh, for a while, there was uh, the biggest surfboard sales in the world is Costco. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The biggest surfboard salesman in the world is Costco. And for one reason, I'm up there buying two or 300 of them a year at Costco. Because I can't buy that board for a 100 bucks like they sell at Costco anywhere on in the industry for a 100 bucks. I can't get it cheaper anywhere. And it's a doggone good board for a 100 bucks. And... Uh, it has been a positive thing for our industry. Damn that surf industry, uh, because a guy can get an entry level board for a hundred bucks. That's not much investment nowadays. Guys in a big old truck, pay that for a tank of gas.
0: Yeah. But uh, I saw Dane Reynolds on his Instagram stories pushing his kid into a wave on a wave storm. On a wave storm. So Dane Why Reynolds not? has a wave storm. A
1: hundred bucks,
0: and they're and they and they're pretty darn good. But then at the same
1: time, it's become very uh, chic to uh, ride softboards. And uh, some of the best shop, best servers in my shop, and some of the best servers in this town spend a lot of time on soft boards, which I don't. I'm old guy stuck in my ways. I'm not that into a Me neither. But uh, these guys are ripping on soft boards. They're not ripping like they do on hard board, which no. is my thing. I'm going, why are you wasting time? Because it's cool. Why are you wearing those tight pants that are uncomfortable? <laughs> Cause it's cool. Why are you wearing those stupid shoes? It's very cool, TK. Don't you realize it's that's cool. Funny. The so price of cool.
0: What um does it bastardize the hardboard sales? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't feel think like it, does it does. either. Like I don't those feel guys like who you're talking about ripping on those boards. They got
1: hardboards too, by the way, my yeah, guys. They that's got hardboards point. also. But they're just riding the softboards. Well, it's a look at me world. Yeah, look at me. Look, at least this guy here is wearing long blonde hair, looking like a girly, and standing in a in a pose. Those shorts a, are from your era.
0: Yeah, those <laughs> shorts. <laughs> oh, looking at the shorts. He had it
1: first,
2: so it's not cool anymore. <laughs> exactly.
0: Oh, it's not cool exactly. anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a be cool world. That's a perfect segue. Actually, I was going to ask you how um, employees have changed over the years. Do you find them? easier to work with, harder to work with? Are they more willing to work? I mean, are we'll we always for, hear gripes. Are about we looking the for the
1: millennial uh, Things, badge? I, I want to know what
0: your experience is like. Hey,
1: first off, I want to say that in my store here, I've been amazingly blessed with employees Have from you? day one. Really, There was a time a few years back when I checked records and my average employee was 17 years who works 17 what? years in a stinking surf shop you you've been here well, me. i'm 52 52 <laughs> years but uh by and large that's insane they come and they don't go away how, how is that how do you do they that? come here because they love the surf they they're here they're working here for the surf they get treated well you know what i love them they feel my love i mean they feel my love uh there's, you know, there's a relational in this store. You're not going to get this in the big box because there's not. In fact, you know, I hear stories that some of the big box things and the things that go on with uh, employees are uh, oh, shocking to me and uh, and saddening to me. I just, three or four months ago, uh, Quicksilver took the best salesman from... 15 different surf stores down to a weekend at uh, K38 and they bought a couple of condos for two or three nights and bought our beer and our food and stuff for us and uh, we surfed it and and I got to go along and and had a great time. But one of the things that opened my eyes was listening to the guys' uh, interaction about employment and their jobs and how it went. And there, oh, there was a story on, hey, Johnny got to be, oh, everyone's got a, uh, A a monitor on him or a a label. Johnny got to be assistant, assistant night shift manager at the store, and uh, and you know and which was a big move up to be an assistant nighttime manager, a night shift manager. Each shift as a manager, interesting. The uh, and but then they got him, they saw him, they caught him on film drinking energy drinks, and he got demoted back to the day crew. No, and I'm like going, in my going? Oh, who the hell gives a... I mean, what the hell do you care if a guy's drinking an energy drink? That's hilarious. And the fact that these kids are used to working under a camera. Yeah. They caught him on the camera. And, and the when the shock wasn't that they got a camera watching us. It was it Johnny got caught on the camera. Right. What the hell? How about the fact that they got a sneaking camera on you? Right. Who the hell are you working for? And they don't trust you enough? They got to have a camera on it? And they got someone... They're paying someone to sit there and look at the camera. Yeah. Oh my God, where's the world gone? I'm old and I'm going to die. Thank God, because it's messed up. And, and I mean, it was uh, sh- it was shocking to me to hear these guys interact. First off, on how they were, each one were talking about their little uh, position. That well, yeah, well, he's uh, third in command on the on the morning shift. Right. And like now, all the layers. Now, of- I've got a son uh, named Dane, and I, of course, I love him very much He's my son, and he went to college, and then he went to. Uh, uh, post-grad and got an MBA uh, degree and he uh, came to me one day after going to MBA uh, class and went, Dad, you know, we studied your your management style today in MBA class and I'm laughing, okay, here comes a joke, you know, let's see, stupid style, I'm sure is what it's going to be. I go, oh, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you actually asked start I go, what? Really? And he goes, yeah, it's called chaos. And I go, okay, interesting. Chaos. Okay, that's the joke. That's the best you can do. I guess you're an interviewer. He goes, no, dad. It's in the books. It's yeah. called chaos. Yeah. And he goes, and in chaos, it's a uh, it's a type of management that not many people can can thrive or live in. But the people that do live in it enjoy it very much. And it's a situation where there's not specified managers and assistant managers and there's not a, a there's not a specified hierarchy that has to be adheld to. People that can survive in it are people that can come in and open their eyes, see what needs to be done and get it done. And uh and I think about it and go, you know what that is a, a lot of the way that we do it here. You need, could, but I, you need a conductor in that scenario. But I get to be the conductor. That's the point. I get to be yeah. the conductor. But uh if I got a guy that's been working here for one week and he sells the last uh, uh, bicycle rack, the 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 number two size bicycle rack. He's got to get on the phone and order some more number two size bicycle racks. Right. I don't have a guy whose job is to go through the shop and realize, well, A, I don't have a computer to tell me that, oh, you just ran out of the last uh, bicycle rack, reorder. So I have to train these guys that you call up the manufacturer and you order up a half a dozen or what you think is a, a reasonable amount of... Uh, bicycle racks that you just sold the last one or you even notice that we're down to the last one and the guys that last here a long time are the guys that can have their eyes open and and follow through with that and uh as a lot of the other stores the guy's not allowed to step his foot into a purchasing position you know for years possibly you know and another thing we do here at the frog house and I'm my wandering here and i'm good at wandering but uh I talk to my guys, we do a lot of special orders for people in here. We got a small store. We got a lot of inventory, but it's a small store. We may not have what a guy has, wants. But I'll get it to you, and I'll get it to you quick. And more importantly, I'll get it to you dependably. And I will keep in touch with you on the phone every step of the way to let you know what's going on. Yeah. That, ooh, they're out of them today, but they're going to get them in three days, and then they're going to ship them. You know, yeah. We don't take your, oh, yeah, well, you know, we'll call you, don't call us. And I encourage them, hey, customer, if you call us, we'll give you an, up, an update on where your order stands. But I talked to my guys and go, listen, I would like you to... Do enough special orders every week to cover your cost of you working here. Yeah, you know, and it ain't hard. Keep your eyes open. Yeah, keep your ears open. Somebody still wants a, uh, you know, we sell a ton of in here. I sell a ton of uh, single fins. The guy's got set. He ran into the jetty, broke out, and lost a fin. I'll get you one fin. That's uh, oh interesting uh, for you, and and I it's do like of a th- for a thruster for a thruster, and yeah. I do. 8 10 12 of those a week that's a great idea and, i didn't and, even know you could do that i hope the other guys that are listening to start doing it too because i make money doing it yeah. but it's but at the same time it's a great opportunity to drop the ball on a customer you know you tell them okay i'm getting it for you and it doesn't happen well i sell to them off the rack if i've got it and sure. then i have a, a split set i put it in a it different up. box yeah. and then on uh monday when the sales rep come in we go through that box and order replacements on them but uh we do a ton of special orders, and uh, it builds up a a, a care and a, and a love between the customer and us. I might love might not be the right word, but uh, a trust and a dependableness that they can depend on us, and that pays dividends for years and years.
0: Yeah. So, I wanted to comment on the chaos theory of management. Oh, the chaos. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and by the way, my, my daughter, my daughter Carly, who's a, a college post-grad graduate also, uh is very sharp, and uh, but she accurately goes, TK, what you do there is you run the the uh, island for lost boys and you get to be Peter Pan.
0: That's right. And it's so true.
1: Your daughter calls you TK? Well, yeah, she calls me That's TK. That's funny. What does it
0: stand for, by the way?
1: <laughs> well, my name is Thomas Kent Brimer. The T and K are initials and back in the Late 70s, I started a skateboard company, and I didn't have enough money to buy a separate telephone line, so on my business cards, I wrote TK Brimer, and if the phone rang, I knew it was a business call for skateboards, and I could try to behave in a business-like manner, gotcha. and so it was TK, oh, yeah, you look, and, yes, sir, gotcha. That's TK, and it caught on, and it's been TK ever since. Um,
0: in regard to the chaos theory of management uh, or style, it was actually a question I had driving over here was, you said to me, you know... We started recording at 4.30. We spoke on the phone at 3.45, and you warned me. You go, hey. Uh, I could be lost. I could be lost. By 4.30, I might be at the grocery store. Maybe send me a reminder at 4.25. Really? So if listeners haven't identified it by now, you, <laughs> <laughs> your brain works in a special way. And uh, and so, but what's interesting is it's actually antithetical to running a successful business. I have no idea what antithetical means. It's anti. Running a a business. To run a business for 50 years, you need to actually cross the T's, dot the I's, you need to be somewhat uh, pragmatic, and it would seem to be that you would step on your own toes. That you, despite if you had a line of customers out the door, that your kind of um, type of management or functioning would get in the way of potential mm-hmm. success. It probably does, to some extent. I, but it's had a wild... It, like It's the perfect alchemy of we just want to be around you. We just want to be here. We, what are you selling? We'll buy it. Well, it, you know,
1: well, okay, I wish it was totally that easy, but you know what? First off, I have a love for the guys that walk in the front door here. I have a love for the customers, and they feel that. And by the way, we were talking also about employees. I love the employees. I mean, I have a love and I care, and it's not for me to toot my horn in here, but others will like go through, you know, just page after page of what I do for, I get parents that come here and go, do you realize that you were the father to my boy? And, uh, and you've done this for years and years of this. And I, That's huge. I get, I'll get teary eyed and go, yeah, okay, whatever. Thanks. But it's not cause I'm, I don't get up in the morning and go, I'm going to go out and be the best person in the world. But, uh, I care for other people. And, uh, yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm hyperactive and attention deficit to the max. My attention deficit is so horrible, like a shiny dime falls there, I'm off on another direction. But I'm also blessed with a really good mind and it'll come back sooner or later, I'll go, oh, I gotta finish this up. Although I, uh, you, talk, you did an example of a, a line of customers out the door and I might just be blowing the whole way and you're right. And I've had my wife just go, TK, finish with one customer, then get to the next customer, because I'll be trying to talk to four different ones at the same time and yeah. it makes sense to me but they're not being satisfied right but right. so yeah it is a difficult uh, it's a difficult uh, personality but uh, i am blessed with a youthful exuberance that most people don't have can i ask how old you are 71 crazy 71 crazy. years old 71 years old and i couldn't be happier wow it's just uh, and by the way hey how do you uh, how do you have this youthful exuberance at 71 years old i serve five days a week some of these guys get up in the morning they go to a stinking gym with a bunch of who knows what kind of people sitting there grunting and groaning and sweating and they lift weights, and they walk on a treadmill and they're hating life and uh, and but they try to stay in shape that way I get up and go surfing a joyous event you know just I mean just a, a, a alters your mood for the entire day and as a sidekick you get stay in shape yeah. and you get good health yep. I mean, it's just a sidekick yeah it's nothing that you get point for the good health it's just uh, following your addiction and it pays off in uh, good health Mike should, could have a aneurysm tonight and die tomorrow if that happens goodbye everybody I love you I'm enjoying myself where I am now but uh, in the meantime no I'm super blessed with health yeah it's amazing and you then also I'm also blessed with this thing where I realized that uh, your attitudes a choice you know what? And my wife is not as upbeat as I am. And uh, some of the biggest conflict we have is she's the half empty, I'm the half full. You know, and I'm like find myself trying to defend people or situations where she's angry about it. I'm like, hey, is this it could have been that, and I have to stop and just go, okay, she's half empty. Being happy is, and being joyful is a choice you get to make every day. You would be wrong to think I don't have little tragedies, little problems, things sure. you could worry about in my life. But let's not worry about that. Let's not let them win. Yeah. Let's uh let's dude. Yeah. You get
0: to make a choice. Yeah. Be happy or be sad, but realize it's your choice. I I love it. I love what you're saying. It's aspirational. Um what what's next for the frog house? How much longer will you be here and what ah. happens when you're not? ah you're scaring me to death because everyone's asking that question because i am
1: 71 and i don't look a day over 70 and a half but uh yeah bears are be going tk what's your exit what's your exit plan and i've always said and i still believe i'm not going to be the old guy that doesn't surf that's sitting in the surf shop going yeah well, that guy used to surf right. if i can't surf i'm out of here because i do this for the fun of the surf and uh and i'm getting old my wife's demanding that i that i uh uh, get rid of this place or, or you know make a change and not not to be involved anymore. mainly because like I pointed out she does the books for this place we don't have a computer she doesn't get to like push a button and it and it does the day's report she has to take every one of those handwritten receipts I and bless her for the what she's let me live yeah, of course. but so she takes every one of those receipts and puts them onto a ledger sheet by hand and then uses a, a, a hand run addition machine with their left hand and uh, adds them up and has to put up with all that crap. And uh, I, my personality just can't do paperworks. I can't sit still at a desk right. that long. Uh, only my ego lets me sit down long enough here to have this discussion <laughs> with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'd be bouncing off the walls already. So what? So where does it go from, from here? From
0: Surfing Heritage and Culture's kind of exhibit standpoint, Temples of Stoke, and where will the next temples be for the next generation? You know, what happens with the frog house?
1: Huh. There's,
0: there's Can been it a, exist without you?
1: There's been a time in this industry when manufacturers have bought surf shops. But they're not doing it right now. But I've even had some soft inquiries through the years from other oh, guys. Hey, TK, are you interested there in selling this place? There would be a long place? list. There would be a long list. But uh, I don't know that there... A lot of these manufacturers have discovered that retail is not as easy as they think it is. Sure. You know? And... Uh, they, uh, they're they not buying at uh, surf shops like they, they used to. Uh, my own son who, uh, like his MBA, but he's always envisioned himself as something bigger than this. Uh, a CEO of a larger company uh, knocking down big bucks, uh, you know, every year. And uh, so he didn't spend the time in here learning the relationships that keep this place alive right now. It's all relationships, you know, right? The relationships are so huge Absolutely. to keep this little place going. I am, uh, I'm not a no pay, but I'm a slow pay for a lot of these guys. But for a lot of them, I've got so many years of uh, experience with them and trust has been built up. And uh, in fact, people ask me, TK, what do you do for a living? I go, oh, I run a surf shop, but that's a lie. I juggle debt. That's what I do for a living. I juggle debt. I have one dollar to pay, and I have four people that that I owe a dollar to, and I get that dollar to one of them and keep the other three happy until they get their dollar. And, uh, and I could give lessons on how to do that that the kids wouldn't understand today.
0: Well, I'm glad that you said that, though, because that's something that a lot of people um, would be embarrassed to admit, but it really is how the industry... Sorry to use that again, but that's how... Retail runs
1: <laughs> It does run that way.
0: I mean and not just in surfing.
1: I know it does run that way yeah. I, uh, I had an experience boy. I'm good, I hope I'm not sorry to tell this story But my son right out of MBA school wanted to uh, I said, you know what I go people are doing this dot-com thing And they're selling stuff online and the frog house has never done that and I could give a damn about ever doing that But it's available to you, son, if you want to try and do that. And I've got inventory here and connections, and, uh, you know, we could give that a try. And he did give it a try for a couple of years, and it didn't work out. Uh, It didn't work out not because of him. And it worked out because the industry, I mean, because the dot-com thing was going through a change where these manufacturers sell online now, you know. And I could uh, could offer three styles of Billabong short in six colors each, or they could go to Billabong website and look at 14 styles and eight styles colors each. Right. Why are they buying from me? No reason to buy right. from me, and uh, and it didn't work out uh, in the long term. Except my son learned a lot about business doing it, and uh, and his career now he is in uh, online sales, but uh, and using some of the skills that he developed in that uh, ultimately shut down business of Froghouse.com. But it came to a time in that that business one day where my son was angry. I mean, like what's up? And he's going, well, I got a guy who wants to buy a size 32 four yellow so-and-so trunk for Billabong they won't ship me one because you dad haven't paid your bill and they don't want to ship you and if you'd pay your damn bill I could sell a pair of trunks and keep my business going and I'm like whoa whoa pretty heavy accusation and all true <laughs> the uh, <laughs> where are we going with this but I go well whoa, 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 wait watch whoa, watch this and I get on the phone I call Larry at the at the Billabong I go hey Larry TK how you doing Hey, buddy, I need a, a size 34 yellow, this model trunk. Yeah, I know, buddy. And I got nothing for you this week, but I will have something for you next week. I have some money for you next week. Yeah, have my word on that. Uh, thanks, Larry. Hey, listen, I'm going to send my son over to pick those trunks up. Thank you very much. I hang up. I go, now look, son. I go, go over there and pick up your pair of trunks and sell those things and make your 20 bucks for selling them, you know. But before you go, I want to mention something to you. I go, you know, I go, I owe uh, $400 and $30,000 in outstanding debt to this industry right today. I go, now, gosh, I just paid a lot of money for you to go to, uh, to, to uh, MBA school and, and and you know all those uh, student loans you don't have? Th- those are largely because your dad's a stinking idiot, okay? But, uh, but let me, did they teach you that you'd have me go to the bank and borrow $430,000 and pay those debts off so you could get a stinking pair of trunks when you need it and make 20 bucks? <laughs> Do you realize it's going to cost me $4,000, almost $4,000 a month in interest to pay off that, that money that I borrowed to pay those debts? I go, that would be suicide. I would be out of business in no time. I go, real. this industry finances my business. It finances my business and charges me nothing for it. As long as i do the dance and i stay in close contact with the guys i owe money to and i come through on my promises and i've got a a, a long time record of coming through i go what are they teaching you at that nba school yeah and he thinks he goes gosh dad i, I never thought of it like that but you're, you're absolutely right that's an amazing an amazing situation to have where you get free financing for your business i go Dude, open your eyes and recognize it, and go pick up your trunks. So and think about that while you're driving out to Irvine to get make you twenty bucks <laughs> <by> for you. <laughs> anyway, and my son, I love him, and he loves me, and uh, and and like I say, he's working in the, uh, the uh, e-commerce uh, industry today, and uh, and doing really well at it. And part of its lessons he learned in our uh, that's early uh, exposure. It's such a great story.
0: Anyway, it's a good it's a good story. It's a good story, and it. I mean. <sighs> It's easy to kind of assign a, a lot of that um, debt juggling towards mismanagement, you know, or
1: well, well, I guarantee part of it is.
0: <laughs> well, sure. That's I'm sure of some it of it. I'm sure some of I mean, it is. I'm not,
1: I'm not perfect at it by any means. Yeah, I yeah, make yeah. mistakes all the time.
0: But the reality is, um, those brands that are supplying you with that product, waiting for that invoice, are aware of those things as well, and they've structured their business in a way to to where they can float that and as long as they're moving product you know all right it makes sense for their and, business and like I say, as
1: long as you you come through in the long, as long, the long, as you long run
0: go out of business you don't <laughs> go out
1: and thank god i haven't done that yet yeah. although they do you know they've got lists of guys that do go out of business and that's and leave them i'm yeah, yeah. like i always tell them, like say I'm, i might be slow pay but i'm not no yeah. pay yeah. and you know what today you could liquidate what i've got in here and pay everything that was uh, sure that's owed and i'd have a net left over you that's know? the important but part. it hasn't always been that way sure. <laughs> i mean there's been times through the years when you're going yeah oh goodness that's a whole nother story
0: well this has been fascinating um final- hey, that's a
1: wrap it up uh, note there <laughs> yeah
0: well no final <laughs> note for everybody most importantly is just what was the last surfboard that you rode that i rode well you know what i've been buying this six, nine, uh, uh,
1: It's Channel Islands and it's the Fred Rubble. Oh, yeah. And I've been riding this Fred Rubble for about eight boards in a row. And, you know, people make fun of the computer. You know what I like? I get the same board over and over and over. And at my age and all, I don't get used to a new board very easily. I'm riding a 5.9 for about the last year and a half. And I was riding a 5.5 before that. And uh, I keep getting older and needing a little bit bigger board but personally i've resisted going to the longboard i'm trying to save that for 80 years old but my god it's only nine years away but uh five
0: nine fred rubble no no six sorry six nine 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 fred Fred rubble Rubble. in polyurethane poly
1: yeah i'm a poly guy i'm an old school guy i don't understand the epoxy thing at all i go to get ding repair done on it's a lot more work and more expensive uh it's uh it's it's billed as being strength. It's stronger. Oh great, it's stronger than poly. Oh yeah, but we're gonna make it so light that it's no stronger than poly at all. In right. fact, it breaks easier. Yeah. But look how light it is. Yeah. Dang, I'll just stay with poly. I'm an old guy stuck in a rut, and I'm I'm uh, really happy with the uh, you know with the polyester board. Yeah. And like I said, I'm enjoying the computer that I can. I get uh, you know three boards a year, the exact same board. Boom, right. boom, boom. Right. And I don't I don't have to. Uh, adjust a lot when I get the new one they're almost always just uh, flawlessly into the next board you know so I enjoy that I'm surfing four or five days a, a, a week and uh I and my longtime employee, Mikey Beho, here, we surf at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's our normal deal. That's the crack of early afternoon. <laughs> and uh, you know what? The school kids have all gone back to school. The worker guys are off to work. And uh, we go out there, and it's not so crowded. And uh, we have a great, great time. Mm. And uh, It's an enviable life. It to me it's, it's,
0: you know what? It's an
1: enviable life. It I is. look around. I don't see many I would trade for.
0: Well not many. You would need to be making five million dollars a year to be doing it otherwise. Possibly. Right here in Newport Beach, possibly. You know? Oh, I am so, so
1: super, super blessed that well way. Well done. Well well done. Thank you for that. It's uh it's just a selfishness I've always had to try to indulge myself.
0: Yeah. Good yeah. All right, <laughs> thanks to you. My
1: pleasure. I can
2: see her lying back in her seven dress in Better take care if I find you been creeping around my still
0: The Temples of Stoke exhibit launches at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center on August 9th with an opening reception party that's open to the public. You can get tickets at shack.org, S H A C C.org. They have California's most iconic surf shops participating from O'Neill and Hout and Freeline up in Santa Cruz to Jacobs, Bing, Greg Knoll, Hobie, Takayama, Gordon and Smith. Lots of legacy and influence in one space. There's more shops than the ones that I just named. Um, and that exhibit will be on display through October 6th. I'll be publishing my conversations with some of those retailers every other week through that duration, kind of mixed in with our normal programming. So you can find video and photos of TK of the Frog House and all of his shenanigans at surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can also leave a comment there in the comment section for him. And then if you like this show and like this style of content and you want to hear more of it, we simply ask that you share the show with friends. That is how we grow the show. The more people listening, the more shows we will be able to produce. And the more we'll just be able to attract um, guests to the show, you know, A-listers, who um, want to spread whatever it is that they're doing, they will choose this venue as opposed to traditional or legacy surf media or in addition to it. So just share the show with friends and help us grow that way. You could follow on social media at Surf Splendor and you can also throw a donation in the donation bucket on surfsplendorpodcastcom donate. My name is David Scales. I thank you very much for listening and I encourage you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.
2: Sometimes I think it's a shame when I get feeling better when I'm feeling no pain. Sundown, you better take care if I find you've been creeping around my backstairs. Sundown, you better take care if I find you've been creeping around my backstairs. Sometimes I think it's a sin When I feel like I'm winning When I'm losing again